Big breath in. Big breath out. Are, are we doing our Pilates? Is A little bit, yes. I'm trying to have my body move and groove and push this yeah. cold out of it. Don't do that. That looks like the downward dog. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's how my head feels right now. Like a uh, toilet bowl. <laughs> I love Jay. I think he was literally in the bathroom. Well, folks, I apologize. I do have a stuffy nose. Bob and Jay have mentioned it seven times since we started this. So It's, it's the holiday season for cold. <sighs> All right, folks. So, happy Friday. Happy Hemphletic Podcast. I hope everybody has checked out the website, which I have plugged numerous times at this point. So I just want to thank everybody who has gone there. And if anybody has any suggestions, please don't hesitate. And if you have any of my gear, take pictures of that gear, go to my social media sites and post those pictures. My father put a picture. So my dad in his 60s was down in Myrtle Beach where he lives area. And Myrtle Beach is very anti-cannabis and CBD to the point where we learned in high, high, during our High Roads episode that Myrtle Beach proper CBD is illegal. So my dad lives just south of Myrtle Beach in Myrtle's Inlet, and he went to his local tavern, which is Greg's, his favorite little, uh, I would consider it kind of a dive bar-esque. He's been going there for many years because he's had a house down there, and he took a picture with the Hemphletic Podcast sweatshirt and Greg's parking lot. So, so happy to see that in a place where it is anti-cannabis. So the message is getting to where we need it to be. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the career that led me where I am now as as far as financially and allowed me to raise my kids was, I mentioned several times, I had an 18-year postal career that I just ended and I officially resigned, not retired. Most people are like, are you retired? No, I definitely did not earn enough years to earn the retirement status. And you want to hear how twisted this system is of the post office? What? When I left, I actually owed two hours of annual leave to them, so I had to pay them back two hours annual leave, even though I had over a 1,000 hours of sick leave in the bank. What? Yes, that's That's a true story. That's crazy. So they don't know how to do math? They can't? subtract one from the other there's no the two sides do not meet so basically what happens in the post office is you earn a certain amount of weeks based on how many years you've been working okay start small and then it builds up after three years you get a boost and then after 15 years you get another boost and as I'm, federal employees you can't get disability insurance uh, uh disability so basically when you have to earn your sick leave and your al and if something happens to you like if i go skiing on a mountain and i come flying down at 50 miles an hour and next thing you know i hit a mogul and crash into a tree once i exhaust my sick time as a postal employee and my annual leave then i'm begging other employees to cover me with their leave that they may donate to me oh and then other than that i am crap out of luck unless i have a supplemental insurance program that i've gotten outside of the post office and that is hard to do because insurance companies are aware of this and they don't necessarily like to insure federal employees because the risk 
you know, federal employees burn, are burned raised. through their sick leave, you know, quickly. And then they're on the hook with that insurance company quicker than someone who like me, who very rarely ever took sick leave. Uh, I took it for a, a couple of weeks for a surgery, uh, for eight weeks of surgery one year around the time when my mom passed. And then I think I called in sick less than 10 days, my whole 18 year career. Well, that's great. Yeah. I call in sick because of uh, mental issues. Well, because it's a different setup. So explain in your in your work world, like how, how your time is set up because it's different than federal Well, employees. we had a great system where we had vacation, we had personal, and we had sick. We had three different pockets to pull from. And then this year, our lovely union, who does nothing for us, decided, hey, wouldn't it be great if we took 40 hours away from the employees and compile it all into one basket and call it PTO and say, we'll say you can earn a little bit more, but you have to call it PTO, which we don't. We earn per pay, pay, pay period, so we get X amount. And, and they front it to you at the beginning of the year? No, no. Every pay period, we get... 10 hours so it accumulates up to 216 so we can never have more than 216 hours in a bank and if we're sick if we're on vacation if we have personal it all comes out of one bank so what happens if you're at 216 and the next week you should be earning 10 hours what happens so you so you pretty much have <laughs> I've to always that. i've experienced yeah. that I've, Tell me i happens. have come to my supervisor and said i'm about to cap i need time off and they look at you and they say, well, the calendar's full. There's no room for you to have time off. That's when I go, oh, okay. The next day I'm, hi, I'm not coming into work tomorrow. I'm sick. They create that situation. Yes, they do. So, so which way is better? I like the other way better because I had, once again, three banks to pull from and I never, ever used my sick time. I had an accumulation of... 450 hours of sick time because I never called in sick and I never used any personal time. I just used my vacation time and it was used on a regular basis. I calculated it out because once again, you get it per pay period. And once it meet, reaches its max, I forgot what it was back then, um, but I never had to go to the max because I was always on top of it. I, I watched what I got per pay period. So for us, we earn a certain amount of hours based on the amount of years you went on. Like I said, um, your sick time always accrues and you don't get fronted that at the beginning of the year. So that's based on pay period you start. So basically when you first start with the post office, you're, you got to build that bank up. So that first couple of months, you're, you, you don't want to take time off. You want to work every day. You want to, you want to keep that bank going and, and not take time off to get your sick leave built up. It's kind of a risk there in the beginning of a federal postal career. We weren't allowed to take until the first six, after six months. Yeah, it, there's, it, I mean, you pretty much can't any new job if you think about it. I mean, no new job. You should be really taking time off unless, of course, it's a family wedding or something that, oh, you know. Can you, can you tell the people I work with <laughs> on that aspect then? Well, some people have life events that, you know, were there before they came to work for it. Some people know right? how to use the system. I'm not being that guy, but it's so everywhere at my job. As far as the post office goes, I have to say that the system is kind of set up to prevent that a little bit. 
but the unions protect those that want to manipulate the system pretty well. You know, there's well, a, that's good. Yeah. You know, so, so there's a there's a trade off, right? Um, so th- the union doesn't necessarily want to protect that ten percent of that that want to manipulate the system constantly, but that ten percent answer actually ends up hurting themselves in the long run because they they don't accumulate sick leave to the point where they protect themselves if something bad happens to them and if they're already having an unhealthy lifestyle or they you know and and they're drinking and they're doing negative things to their bodies outside of work then they exhaust that sick leave because they're in a negative mindset next thing you know they're at work in that negative mindset and it becomes a snowball effect for those people and they end up having to write themselves because of the system, or they flush themselves out on their own. Is there a lot of stress at the post office? Yes, there is. It's it's a delicate balance between staffing and budgets and people's raises. So it's a constant looking at SPLY numbers, same period last year, SPLY, SPLY, SPLY. And, and that's a lot of organizations are like that. But the thing that always frustrated me was how can you really look at supply when there's so many weather impacts to what we do, number one. And number two, it's an inexact science how you can predict how long it takes a person to complete a route based on their mail volume when you talk about city delivery routes. So you have a lot of exact sciences in there. A little touch on the mail volume. Has it gone down over the years? That's so, man. This I, I... I got out of the post office for several reasons. Number one, I wanted to start these new business ventures and this podcast. Number two, I see the writing on the wall at the post office and they're in a very difficult position as a company. But they're losing sight of what revenue they need to keep bringing in in the future because what's happening as far as mailing volume is over... Many, many years now, over a decade, about a decade, 2000, 2008, 2009, I believe, the flat volume has, has started to go down, but the letter volume is significantly going down over the last 15 years. People are doing more online, more emails. It's all taking away our letter volume. Sure, and that used to be quicker. The, and that used to be the driving force. Think about it. Fifth, four, 40 cents, 35 cents, whatever it was, a letter. Now you put all those letters in the mail stream. That kind of protected the rest of the system with revenue. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So back in the day, postal leadership was very lax with everything in the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, you hear all these stories where guys were sitting places for hours and that kind of stuff because the letter volume allowed for that to happen. So like the package business, when the package business first got going, the post office kind of was like, whatever. And that's why UPS and FedEx and DHL, uh, prior to DHL was another package company, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, all developed because basically the postal service was like, we're good with letters and flats, don't worry about it. They, they were short-sighted. And why were they short-sighted? The post service management structures built basically or was built basically of employees that started as clerks, mail handlers, carriers, and then they worked themselves up through the system that way. Some of them went to college, got degrees while they were doing that. But generally speaking, you have a bunch of people that took a civil service test, did did blue collar jobs, then moved all the way up to postmaster general. Okay. So you don't have a lot of, you didn't have a lot of business acumen within the post office 
chain through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They didn't really need to worry about it. They were the king of the world right then. Because the letters drove the revenue. So it's the question I keep coming back to is the, the volume. So now what's happening is marketing mail and parcels are really what's going to drive the future of the post office. And this is why this five to six day debate is such a big thing. My mind, in my mind, I would probably still be in the post office if we were already allowed to go to a five-day delivery with seven-day package delivery, doing all priority and express on Saturdays and Sundays. Let's touch on that. Mm-hmm. Why won't they go to the five-day? Uh, the unions are preventing it. Really? Yeah, it, it's basically the unions are lobbying against it, saying six-day delivery because they're trying to protect jobs. Because what happens now is there's five routes that are kind of grouped together and and then there's a utility carrier for those five routes. So each one of those carriers that are permit carriers on those five routes, they do that job five days a week. And then the sixth day, because we're open the sixth day, that utility carrier does one of those five routes each of those days that those carriers are off. So the carriers have a rotating day off, so it's not a fixed schedule. So a carrier will have, this is for city carriers through the post office. The schedule is pretty much the same across the country. In some union locations, they may have adjusted the schedule, but this is a general schedule for all carriers across the whole country. So carriers will have Monday. Uh, I'm sorry, we'll start with Tuesday. This week, they have Tuesday off. Next week, they'll have Wednesday off. The week after that, they'll have Thursday off. The week after that, they'll have Friday, Saturday off. It's the end of the week, beginning of a week, and they get a three-day weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then they work six days and they have the Monday off. So they have Sunday, Monday off. Then it goes back to Sunday, Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Thursday, and then they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, and then Sunday, Monday off the following week. So it rotates, their, you rotate your schedule. Right. So the unions want to keep that six day because otherwise all that, those utility carriers right off the top, pop, their jobs get cut with five-day delivery. But technically they don't get cut. And this is, and this is where my contention is with the unions is you're going to reallocate hours. Obviously, it's not going to be as many hours and there won't be as many, much overtime available for the regulars in doing so. But you would have a more flexible workforce to protect yourself from regulars who are out during the week. And then on Saturday, Sunday, you have a flexible workforce that's just going to do package delivery. And then maybe if there's important businesses on the weekends, you know, and the mail moves and, the, and you know, letters or flats happen to show up for those businesses and you want to deliver that, then you do that as a customer service thing. But that would allocate the resources of the flats and letters that we currently deliver on six days a week to every single address in the country. Think about that. Now, all of a sudden, you do that in five days. So you crunch that down to five days. So the volume that would be spread over six would be pushed into five. Because right now, you only have two two to three days a week of true mail volume to give carriers eight-hour days. Right. The other days, their day is not a true eight-hour. So you're giving them pieces of other routes in it with an inexact science to say that, that you're going to take a half hour of this route because it'll give you an eight-hour day. But it doesn't factor stopping in a train. It doesn't factor a customer on that route having a question and you're the, just helping on that section and you got to now help a customer you've never dealt with before. Or all these other factors come into play. But the post office will be like, we gave you the half hour cut. Why did it take you 35 minutes? And we have a GPS now. We're going to pinpoint. And why we, why why was that blip in that spot for four minutes? Well, I was dealing with the customer. To, now, I would seriously, as a supervisor the next day, have to talk to each individual employee about nonsense like this. Oh, God in a circle, then I'd have to go around again to allocate the time because you're giving them time off other routes to fill their eight hour days on the, so you see how the consolidation into five days would eliminate a lot of that bull crap during the week because you consolidate the production. 
you consolidate what they have. So now you're going to give more days within that five days will be two or eight hour days. Is there a push for it? There has been a push for it for a long, long time to the point where the post office a handful of years ago announced that we were going to do it. And the politicians all stood up saying, no, they can't. And then all of a sudden the politicians who are not well versed as to all the laws and policies regarding the post office realized, holy crap, they can do it without our, without our approval. So then the only bill we've been asking since 2011 for the Postal Reformation Act. It is now 2018, and it is still not written. The only policy that has been written regarding the post office in that time is the fact that we can't go to five-day delivery without the permission of the Congress, which before we didn't have to do. Yeah, it's so skewed, these guys. So there's actually a bill going through that a lot of people like which is going to have some parameters in place to allow us to go to five-day deliveries once we hit certain certain volume thresholds. When, I think it was a year and a half to two years ago, where they said we couldn't go to five-day delivery. And that's a decrease in volume thresholds. Yeah. Um, so th that basically means that as the letters and flats keep decreasing, once we hit that a certain threshold, they say, okay, yes, we need to go to five-day delivery. So they know it's coming. That, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows it's coming. But so... They put that in place a couple of years ago, but they didn't realize now two years, looking forward to now two years, we're almost at that threshold already. And they had set it for like 2020, 2021. We're almost at that threshold already. So this, now a caveat to even add this whole volume thing, because operations and sales is not very good in the post office communicating back and forth. Sales, we have sales associates across this country, over a thousand of us. I was a salesperson when I left the post office. That's my position for the last three years. Most people do not even realize that there are local sales reps out there to help small, large, medium-sized businesses with marketing and shipping on using the post office and direct mail. Reach out to your local postmasters, managers. If you want to try and find one of these individuals, they're called field sales representatives or they're sales shipping specialists or marketing specialists. And they will tell you about the technology. The marketing specialist will tell you about technology that you can add to direct mail. And the shipping specialist will come in. And the post office is phenomenal. They offer a tool that you can pull all package-level detailed data from a company. They will send it, scrub it to some people who do it for us for free and give that company back insight as to where they can save based on their current discounts with FedEx and UPS. So we'll do the full analysis and show you this. If you send this packages at this weight out with the post office, you'll save this amount of money. But if you send it out to the post office and it's a higher weight, da, 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 FedEx and UPS, we actually show you FedEx and UPS is cheaper than us. We do a, a straight out study. And when you say reach out to the post office, does that mean go to a post office? Yeah, absolutely. Walk right in or, and say, yeah, I, yeah, either that or I would say one of the bigger offices in a city. Sometimes the rural offices, uh, associate offices may not have, have met their sales reps. Me in my territory, I met most of the postmasters of all the offices in my territory within three years. So if any customer came into my post offices, they had my card in that office. And I, my territory extended from the city of Rochester in, in New York all the way down to Hornell Bath area, down 390. So I had the kind of 390 corridor all the way down. It's almost the state line. Um, so I saw every little office between the city of Rochester and down pretty much saw my face in three years. But you involved, evolved into that position. That's not what you were hired for, correct? Yeah. So this is an interesting, so we'll go off the big general post office here just to tell everybody my story of how I got in. Cause I got in a very unique way. 
I was a journalist for 13 years, writer. I was doing part-time jobs to support my young family. I had my daughter when I was young. She was born a couple weeks after I graduated college. So I was that guy working two, three jobs to pay the bills, doing everything, do everything I needed to do. And I start working for Emory Worldwide Airlines at night, sorting mail. So I'm working at the newspaper during the day and at night I'm sorting. So I'm putting my headphones in. Yeah, I was there. Bam, bam, sorting mail into corrals. I'm just sorting packages into corrals to the Syracuse 130 cell. Uh, eventually I'm sorting off of belt, conveyor belts into hampers and I'm, I'm high energy and everybody around's like, well, who is this guy in his, in his That's late twenties? Yeah. Late twenties. And he just bebop around here and what, he's a journalist and he writes during the day and he's a photographer too. And I kind of dr- generated a little buzz about me cause I just went in there and did my job and nobody really had to ever worry about me. So then I kind of got a leadership role where I was on running jitneys and forklifts uh, and within a couple months, I was a seasonal supervisor. So I was a seasonal supervisor with Emory, which means they kind of put you in a leadership role for the Christmas season. And, and I was a journalist writing full-time for a newspaper, uh, for several weekly newspapers during the day. So I'm in that role. They end up making me, hiring me as a trainer. So then I'm hired as a trainer and I'm still working at the post office or at the newspaper now laying out pages and stuff. So I'm kind of having a dual career going on. So technically Emory is not the post office. Emory Worldwide Airlines had a contract with the United States Postal Service to run eight priority mail centers along the East Coast back in the late 90s. So what the post office did was they didn't want to do the package business, but they realized it was a growing market and they needed to grow it. And they didn't have, there's three things the post office can, two things definitively the post office cannot do. We cannot own, the post office in general cannot own a fleet of planes or a fleet of trucks because it would allow them to be a monopoly. The reason, so you think about AT&T back in the day when they were talking about monopolies and everything. Mm-hmm. AT&T basically had the whole telephone industry from coast to coast. They had a piece of everything. So they had to be broken up into smaller companies so more people could spread the wealth. So think about this from the postal side. We are the only organization in the whole country and we are driven by federal employees, though no taxpayer dollars goes into the post office, okay? But we go into every address six days a week. That gives us an advantage for every kind of marketing, sales, everything. So imagine now that we have every delivery vehicle possible to move all that mail, and we are the owners of all of it. That's a lot of payroll. That's a lot of benefits. So, So the post office basically is written to the charter that we, to avoid us being a monopoly, we can have our own trucks that drive city routes, but anything outside of city delivery is going to be done by contractors. Okay. So you have fleets of trucks that are contractors that go between cities. So you're not postal employees. You're working at the contractor. So we're working with contracts. So I'm a contractor with Emory at this point and we have eight priority mail centers. Now we are efficient. We have a system that tracks the volume coming in from the other eight centers. So we know exactly our in-network volume every night. We are getting mail from commercial air. Uh, We're getting mail from trucks every day. It's an exciting, busy atmosphere. Bob was at work there as well with me. Um, Describe it a little bit, Bob. Oh, I had so much fun in the beginning. I mean, you had these little cells and where the zip codes were were set up for the different locations around Rochester. And they would give you these, well, where I worked anyways. I didn't work on the the belt. They would give you these carts full of boxes and and mostly, mostly boxes, some envelopes, for me anyways, and you had to organize that 
So if it was the 130 section, you had to go through 130 or 131, 132, 13, and so on and so forth. So you had to stand in the middle and you had to play basketball. Oh, God, should I be saying that? Uh, <laughs> with these packages. You, you, it's amazing what you can do sorting packages without them getting damaged. Yeah, yeah. So you had to play basketball with these packages, and but you had time. You had to get these done in, in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, you're, you weren't meeting deadlines, critical entry times every night. Right. So we're describing a building that in Rochester, New York, sorts mail for 130 to 149. And those are the three-digit zip codes. So basically, that encompasses Watertown all the way down to Binghamton, all the way across to Jamestown and Buffalo, if you think about the whole state of New York. That is a huge area. And we do all the incoming and outgoing priority mail and first-class parcels through that building here in Rochester. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a lot of mail. Like, and everything was like on the numbers. Boom, boom, one, two, boom, boom, two, bum, bum. And you, you had to keep moving. You had to keep moving. Watertown truck. Watertown from here is about a three-hour drive. Uh, we had to have that truck out of our door was the first one by 115. Binghamton had to be out by 115. And now those times are changing out, but this is back in the day. So and and this the last of our mail wouldn't enter into our facility and be our off our primary belt. So we would have mail that comes into us a bunch of different ways. We'd have to break it up, get it sorted back to cells to to the three digits, and then from three digits we sort it to the five digits in those cells. So it would be all the Watertown would be one thirty six, and then there's a lot of small towns in the Adirondacks. So now all of a sudden the primary belts wouldn't get down to about midnight, and we had to make sure that one thirty every piece of mail going to Watertown. 136 had to be in sacks or the moving containers strapped and put on a truck by 115 in the morning so that's an hour and 15 minute turnaround to make sure any 136 mail that was in our building was in that cell and back out of our building yeah and you had to be done I think for the whole building by like 4 a.m. during the holidays. Yeah, uh, Rochester cells were generally 4 a.m. But we had some wiggle room on that because it all depends on the volume. We had some wiggle room on that because those stations were short drives from that facility. And there was always hiccups. There was the weather that the drivers had to contend with. There was uh, bad routes. Whatever the cause may be, you always had some kind of hiccup that you had to deal with and you had to settle it that night and there. So with Emory, I was a trainer, and then they made me a supervisor in 2000. Then a couple months after they made me supervisor, the post office and Emory have a big falling out. Now, Emory Worldwide Airlines, for as efficient as they ran their priority mail centers, and, and they were actually good contractors to the post office. So the post office, what the post office did was had liaisons in our buildings to make sure we did everything correctly, and then we also had full postal inspection while monitoring everything we did. So we were contractors that were watched, scrutinized every minute of every day. There's always two to three postal inspectors, or I'm sorry, two to three postal liaisons in our building every day, making sure we did everything by the contract. So it was a very secure environment as well with the inspectors. Oh, deep breath. Bringing back such a flood of memories with this. So, so as a supervisor, so then Emory and the post office have a falling out because the post office thought Emory wanted to renew the contract and we're really going to raise the prices on it. And the post office is like, no, it doesn't cost that much to run these operations. Why? This is ridiculous. And, and it, in the long run, Emory was actually right. What it cost to do everything Emory was doing was correct, did cost that much because the minute the post office took 
back over these operations. They stripped so much from them. It was ridiculous. But I'm off on a slight tangent. Mm -hmm. So Emory... The other bad thing that they did was they didn't repair their planes and their all their planes were going to disrepair and the post office knew this. So the falling out of the contract basically meant, all right, the post office now is losing their company, Emory Worldwide Airlines, from running eight operation centers as well as moving the mail through planes through Canton, Ohio every day. We were moving much mail in these big air containers. So they knew we needed a new company to move and then they were taking back over the operation centers. So in doing so, they needed to hire employees. Now, all these eight, nine buildings had existing employees, but they weren't postal employees. Right. So in the postal world, to become federal employees, usually you have to take civil service tests and be on lists and then get hired. So all these buildings had these negotiations with unions and in each area was different, whether there was a list of people already that wanted to get jobs at the processing centers in those areas. And if so, technically those people on the list were put ahead of people that had been working in these buildings for Emory for three, four years. Very awkward, very unique situation. So for me, this is my bonus. Since I was a supervisor with Emory and the postal liaisons loved me. <laughs> Because I was a stand-up guy. I was not the guy that was going to hide things from them. They would ask me a question. I'd, I got in trouble with Emory management on several occasions because I was honest to a fault. I have always have been my whole life, and I wouldn't lie to postal inspect or postal liaisons. We're all in this together. And the, the Emory management at times would try to manipulate or hide their stuff, and, and I didn't tolerate such things. So I, I, ne I never crossed the line. Emory... Fortunately for me here in Rochester, at least, our management didn't want to cross the line in too bad a fashion. So it wasn't like I was put in horrible positions. It was more of hiding maybe 10 pieces of mail in a night that we didn't get onto a truck than it was you know, anything else. So we're, not, we're talking about minor things here, but I was always honest to fault, whether we were doing staffing operation, how we were how we were staffing an operation or why we were staffing because if we were understaffed someplace and, and the liaison felt like we weren't going to get the mail out, he would jump in to be like, Hey, you, this, these flats are over here. Like you guys, like they would jump in actually to help push our operations, which at times is annoying. And at other times we needed it, but we had a, a couple, uh, Ida hood and Robert Citron. Robert Citron is now a very high end employee with the United States postal service. One of the most respected uh, people that I know in the post service and definitely a mentor to me. And the, one of the main reasons why I have a, got a job at the post office. So I was fortunate that when Emory in the post office around 2001, so I, I, I started the post office in January of 2001. All I had to do was, I didn't have to take the civil service test. So all the employees that were working on the floor that didn't get that supervisor job that I got, a few months before that had to fill, had to do the civil service test and put the name on the list and score well to keep their jobs in that building. Me, I had to write nine essays. They called them KSAs, knowledge skill assessments. And they ask you to do it in a star format, which old school applications. And I believe maybe colleges do this a little bit, but it's situation, task, action, result, star format. So there would be like 10 questions on an application, like, um, describe your operational knowledge to make a change in an instant or something like that. And then you'd have to come up with a situation that matches the question they mentioned with the task that you did, the action that came from the task, and then the result from all that came from you. 
Well, I was a writer. I scored a 98 out of 100 on my essays. I wrote essays for two other guys, um, the supervisors who were definitely not writers like I was. So basically, because I was a journalist, I got in the post office, the back door, without the civil service test, scored a 98 out of 100. And out of all the, there was a handful, and I actually gave up a one-year severance from Emory, just putting in for the post office application. And at the time when you have young kids and someone wants to hand you like 30 grand, yeah, that was tough to, right? that was tough. I walked away from 30 grand at a time when I had two young kids and I was behind on bills because I trusted the fact getting the post office would be better long-term for me. Um, definitely the best decision I ever made, turning down that 30 grand mm. without a doubt. Um, so I turned down the severance and... Uh, and here we are. So I, I got in the back door because I never had to take the civil service test, which I would not have done well on because that wasn't the type of person that I was as far as testing. So I got to write the nine essays. I picked the second of all the supervisors who came over from Emory. I got to pick my schedule second. So I got a Sunday through Thursday schedule, seven at night to four in the morning. I got to hang out with my kids after school, make them dinner before I went to work. I, I didn't get home too late, so I got sleep in the morning the next day, so I wasn't sleeping too late. And I didn't have to work Friday night or Saturday nights. It was ideal. I had that schedule for uh, uh, two, three years before I decided to go to customer service because I realized my kids were going up and I needed to get on days. And uh, and Joe Vincelet was nice enough to get me out on details on days, and that started my customer service cycle with the post office. So that was my entry into the post office. For those of you who are jealous listening to that story, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just the way it worked out for me. But just so you know, when I first started with Emory and that whole thing and a trainer, I was a trainer with Emory. I was paginating, laying out all the pages for all the sports pages for Messenger Post newspapers. And I was helping out a contractor on the side while I was raising a couple young kids. I, I took that test, the civil service test. After the career of, well, not really career. It was a side job for me, for Emory, was falling. I'm like, all right, I'll take the test for for the fun of it. I didn't do too bad. Uh, there was a lot to memorize. I mean, you had to be on the ball when you're looking at that test. But anyways, uh, the there was an offer on the table, but it was only part-time. And that would mean for me to leave my full-time job for a possible part-time job that maybe might lead to a full-time job. And I couldn't gamble that. So I just stuck out where I was. Do you regret that? Not at all. Well, I don't like where I am now, but I wasn't in a position to have a part-time job. I had a house, I had bills. I couldn't live on a part-time salary. And the funny thing was probably within about three weeks of when he was told that he would have full-time hours and we were hiring like well i was looking for but he didn't know that i was looking for a mail carrier i wanted to be a oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. i wanted to walk the streets and you would have been a a, a fine carrier i that that's my dream job I, hiking for a living yeah oh god and getting paid for it i mean i i, I love that i wish you had taken that road cuz but i don't know i don't you would have been a good mailman. There's no oh, doubt. Thanks. Yeah, your, your your root would have loved you. <laughs> you would have. I would have gotten cookies for Christmas. You would have got lots of cookies. <laughs> so the post office in general. So when did it, when was it established? Do you know when it was established by Payne Chance Bob or by whom? Mm, I'm gonna shoot maybe in the 1800s. Mm. Eh? 
a little earlier, but do you know who was the instigator of it all? Ben Franklin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, on this day in 1775, the U.S. Postal System is established by the Second Continental Congress with Benjamin Franklin as its first postmaster general. He put in place the foundation for many aspects of today's mail system. During early colonial times in the 1600s, few American colonists needed to send mail to each other. It was more likely that their correspondence was with letter writers in Britain. Mail deliveries from across the Atlantic were sporadic and could take many months to arrive. There were no post offices in the colonies, so mail was typically left at inns and taverns. In 1753, Benjamin Franklin, who had been postmaster of Philadelphia, became one of two joint postmaster, postmasters general for the colonies. He made numerous improvements to the mail system, including setting up new, more efficient colonial routes, cutting delivery times in half between Philly and New York by having the weekly mail wagon travel both day and night via relay teams. And we still do relay teams now on long routes, by the way, especially in Christmas time. We'll do team routes to Orlando, to our facility in Orlando from our facility in Rochester. So they'll run so, tandem so they don't sleep. So that truck never stops the whole way. It's 24 hours straight down. That's crazy. So one driver drives two, from? Two, two, tandem. So I'm saying that. So what they do is they relay. So they either, um, there's two different th- ways they do it. Sometimes they'll have two drivers in two trucks that meet and switch trailers. Uh, so they swap mail to come back. So they do that between Ohio and here. Uh, there's a couple of those and there's daily trips. So two, uh, one driver will switch swap trailer between here and Pittsburgh sometimes instead of doing the whole trip. So okay. both guys are doing the whole trip. Right. But what they're talking about here is multiple people in a, in a truck where they can switch and then the truck never has to stop because it'll keep moving. So it started back in 1774 or whatever. I mean, it, it's crazy that relays started that early. Um, uh, anyways, in 1774, the, the British fired Franklin from his postmaster job because of his revolutionary activities. How funny is that? So the post office actually was originally implemented under England's rule. I didn't know that. However, the following year, he was appointed postmaster general of the United Counties by the Continental Congress. Franklin held the job until late in 1776 when he was sent to France as a diplomat. He left a vastly improved mail system with routes from Florida to Maine and regular service between the colonies and Britain. President Washington imported, excuse me, appointed Samuel Osgood, a former Massachusetts congressman, as the first postmaster general of the American nation under the new U.S. Constitution in 1789. At the time, there were approximately 75 post offices in the country. Was that interesting information or not, Bob? Oh, who doesn't love history? I love it. There is a great postal museum in Washington, D.C. Smithsonian has it. I have been there. If anybody ever wants to check out the history of it and how it has carried over from the stagecoach days and how uh, race and how it has been a part of culture uh, on a daily basis here, please go check it out. The National Postal Museum Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. It is a great afternoon to walk through. Um, I pulled up a story about 10 things you didn't know about the United States Postal Service, but I'm actually going to talk about one on a personal note. Oh. Have you ever heard of the term going postal, Bob? I have. Yeah. It's such a negative term in society. And, and I, it doesn't make me happy when I hear it. So 
my way to combat people saying going postal because especially friends and family who like to make jokes about it or, or random people is like, oh going postal uh, going postal is generally summing uh, the post office being a letter carrier and a clerk at times can be a very mundane job you're doing the same thing over and over and over again and i guess that drives some people a little battier to do ridiculous things and in the postal's history there's been a couple of those incidents. So now all of a sudden this thing comes about going postal. It drives me crazy. So I actually, when I was the main office window supervisor here in Rochester, New York on Jefferson Road, it was the largest retail unit. I was the acting super, I was the supervisor there for three years. And I was always frustrated at people making that statement. So I started a Word document where I started collecting stories of postal heroes. Now, do you know why there would be so many people that are postal heroes, heroes in general, Bob, on a daily basis? I don't think of post office and heroes that go in hand in hand. So I described that we go to every house every day, six days a week, right? Yep. Generally speaking, those routes are designed to go to those houses the same time every day within about an hour fluctuation. Right. So if a carrier does an hour or two hours of another route, he'll do that first, then he'll go to his route. So it's pretty much a two-hour window before or after that you should get your mail. It's not always the case, but that's the way it's supposed to be set up right now. So what you have is many people who are shut-ins, alone, introverts, old, don't have family around. If something happens to them physically, sometimes the only person coming near that residence all day long is the postal carrier. So if that mailbox is on that house, a lot of times a resident or something that's in trouble, they won't yell all day until the uh, around the hour they know their carrier will be around that house. Hmm. All right. So what you have is a lot of postal carriers that save people's lives that are on the edge across the country to the point where there's a newsletter sent out every day through the post office to the management teams updating small information, you know, if there's software glitches or things we need to know about, but there's a hero's corner. So every day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, there is a story in there about saving a life. So I collected these stories, and then I also collected them from personal stories from carriers. So I'm going to give a personal story real quick from a carrier who saved this old couple's life here in the city of Rochester, New York. So around the corner from where my grandfather's flower shop was, old Polish neighborhood. So there's an old Polish couple in their 90s, and the carrier obviously knows her route very well. She... Smells gas around this house over the course of a couple of days, and she knows it gets a little worse. So she knocks on the door because now she's concerned because there's a smell and nothing's getting addressed. And little Kimmy, I'm not going to give her full name, but uh, a little woman. And this is a, um, a mixed neighborhood, low-income neighborhood with some older people that are hanging on and then a newer uh, Hispanic black population around it. So it's a mix. I wouldn't say it's an unsafe neighborhood. But it's a neighborhood you have to watch out for yourself. Now, this couple, the woman answers the door. Kimmy knocks on. 
uh, ma'am, uh, you know, it sm- kind of smells like gas out here. Uh, you know, have you guys called RG&E or anything just to, you know, check it out? The woman says, yes, I've been telling my husband for a couple weeks now that there's a gas smell. And he says, I'm crazy. And I tell him, no, I'm not crazy. It smells like gas. And, and now she's laughing. And she goes, well, do you know the number? And, you know, she pulls out her cell phone to give the woman the number. And she's like, ah. and, and she quickly realizes that she needs to make the call. So she sits there for five, seven minutes, whatever it took to make the call to say, hey, you know, call 911. And, you know, this house, you guys might want to check it out. The next day, Kimmy goes back to do her route. And the whole front yard of that house is tore up. The It's yellow taped. The couple is out of there. The fire marshal does not know how that house didn't blow up. There was two leaks coming into the house, gas leaks. There was three leaks in the house. Wow. And the fire marshal's like, I, I don't know how this house didn't blow up. Like, So it was a postal carrier that saved this couple's life. This is not a unique story. This story happens every day. People falling and yelling and the carrier or uh, a mail builds up for three, four days and the carrier knows that that doesn't happen ever and the customer didn't warn them they were going away. So if you go away, who's the one person you're telling you go away to? The post office. Yeah, because if you don't, your mail builds up and then they think either number one, something's wrong in your house or number two, now anybody who wants to find a house that nobody's home, they're going to see the accumulation of mail in that mailbox. They know nobody's home. So the mailmen have this responsibility to make sure that your house isn't a target for theft, crime, because you're not home and you didn't take the care enough to say, hey, stop my mail. I mean, technically think about that. Everybody goes on vacation. Some people forget to stop their mail. If the carrier just kept piling that mail on that mailbox, especially one that's on a curb like here in front of Justin's house where we have the studio, I'm looking out, I see a mailbox on the curb. I'm just imagining in the summer, those people go away for a week and that carrier just keeps putting all the mail, all the mail, all the mail, all the mail. Does, does it? That's a red flag right there. That's, 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 that's an opportunity as well. How many times do you see that going around? Oh, you see it a lot. You're wondering, why isn't this mail being picked up? It's not as much as it should be because carriers in general will protect those people and hold the mail at their office when they see that happening. Or if they, if the cars are there and they don't think someone went away, they're going to go knock on that door and see if that person's okay. Or they will call the supervisor to say, there's a situation going on here. Someone hasn't called mail, uh, got mail for three, four days. I don't want to make any call. I just want to tell someone that this happened. So then that supervisor then will either call 911 or they'll call the postal inspectors to say, how do you want us to handle this? And then generally speaking, local authorities will address it. But we've saved thousands and thousands of lives every year. It's one of the most proudest things I, I, uh, I'd like to tell about the post office in my 18 year career. By and, you, far. and you wrote stories about these or you wrote, uh, so I collected those stories. So I wrote the stories of my personal ones that I heard from carriers, but I also collected the stories from these different places around the country. Did you hand it out to anybody? I handed it. That's such a great question. <laughs> Because at the main office windows every year, Christmas time, we had the media come in. So two of the years I was interviewed. Um, but even if I wasn't the one interviewed, I was always the kind of the liaison when they would come in. I'd say to the postmaster, hey, the media's here. And because I was a journalist, I knew a lot of the local media. So a couple of them uh, would make that going postal comment to me, kind of teasing me. And I would pull the document out. It was like a three, four page document after a while. And I would just put plop it in front of him be like here take this back to your office and if you want to call me to do any stories i have 
plenty of local carriers. I have a PR person. We can get you on some of the local stories of saving lives if you want. And some of the some of the uh, some of them took advantage of us, but the post office is very delicate about you know what they what they want to put out there. Like here in Chilai, just down the road from where we're producing right now, there was a woman who saved a family's life. This is a phenomenal story. And I'm going to say her name, Barb Langdon, because she actually was on national today's show. I believe good morning America. I believe she was on and I was there this day. So this is a story that I actually got the call from the carrier and this story went viral nationally. So Barb Langdon, who has no cartilage in her knees, she's, she's a, um, a larger woman raises two great kids. She is a phenomenal mother, a phenomenal postal carrier, cares about everybody, just salt of the earth. I'm glad to call her a friend. She gets to a house. Uh, It was not a route that was her route, so it was a route that was not hers, but because she's been a longtime postal employee, she knows the area well. So she generally knows a lot of the people around. So she goes and knows kind of the family at this house, and she notices smoke. She also knows for a fact that there's kids and pets possibly in this house that the smoke's coming from. And she knows it's a house where maybe everybody isn't always uh, taken care of to be nice. So Barb can't walk. She knocks on the door, pounding on the door. Nobody's answering, but she can't walk. She can't walk around the house. She pulls in the house next door and drives up the driveway and sees that someone, a couple people are trying to get out the back of the house. So now Barb <sighs> trapes from her truck on the driveway down a hill that was slippery. Now this woman barely can walk. Like watching her walk bull-legged from the end of a driveway up to deliver someone's package is like painful when I'm with her. So the adrenaline in her must have been flowing because at the time she's walking down to the window, she's calling me. Brian, Brian, it's Golden Road. Brian, there's there's a family. There's people trying to get out the window. Did you call 911, Barb? I, yes, I did. What do you want me to do? Just, Brian, I, I don't... I, she, I said, Barb, can I do anything right now? And I hear her yell for somebody. And I said, Barb, hang up if I can't do anything. I'm coming. I get in my... I run out of the... Run out of the office. I get in my car. I sprint. So this is like three to four miles down the road from our office. And I'm cranking. And what happened before I got there from the time I ended that call with her to the time I got out there was she pulled a big woman out of a window and saved her life. She got another person out of the house and saved their life. And one of the person was in the house and the firefighters got them out before they died. So nobody died in that fire. She got physically, she got two people out of there. I don't know how physically she did it because the woman can't even walk. I got to the site and I see the truck still running, door open. Now there's five, six, seven fire trucks at this point. I'm booking down there, postal supervisor, throwing my badge out the window. I got to get to my carrier, make sure she's good. I get down in the middle of the loop, in the middle of all the hay craziness. She's in the ambulance right now with oxygen on her. And she finished her route. She was back on a route an hour later, hour and a half later. That's good. She finished her route that day. All right. I didn't take any mail off her. All right. Yeah, crazy postal employees, right? So yeah. anybody says the word going employee and postal about postal employees, my opinion definitely is way different. Well, because you work there. What media 
portrays is they love the sensationalism. They love the, the drama. And when something happens like a stressed out postal employee does a crazy thing, it's now got a nice little tag. And, and then there's a nice little pattern that develops over the years, especially when it started between, um, well, it, it was coined. The whole phrase was, phrase was coined in 1986, I think it was. And uh, But it, the whole incident started between 1970 and 1997 is when they started tracking the whole going postal idea where more than 40 people were killed by current or former employees of the post office in at least 20 incidents. And then between 1986 and 2011, workplace shootings happened at roughly two per year with an average of 12 people killed per year. So when the media gets a hold of that, they're going to be like, well, let's tell this story. It's, it's a lot more of a grab than congratulations, you did a good job. The, the media or the, the people, the public love the drama. So to try to <coughs> dispel that, You've got a big job ahead of you. And it's tough because how I described it earlier, the way people move up through the post office, there's not many people in upper management here in Western New York that have worked with me for my career that wouldn't agree with the statement. So I'm going to be very delicate about being negative about the company or people in general. There's definitely a lag in negatives within the post office that I could tear up and make true statements and people would be mad that I did. Uh, but I don't want to paint that picture because there's so many good people that work for the post office, but the best qualified person does not always get the postmaster manager job just or supervisor job. It, supervisor, I would say, is probably at that level. It's probably more about best qualified. But for many years in my career, there were certain postmaster jobs. I was very specific about what jobs I wanted to go for because I was a firm believer that if you're the postmaster, you need to be a part of that community. And in the post office here in the Rochester area, it's more about you had to um, cut your teeth at smaller offices and build your way up. So that means maybe you would have been driving an hour to an office to work every day to build up to get a bigger offices and associate offices. It was very difficult to go from a city supervisor position to a level 18 postmaster office because they wanted you to make the jump out of an associate office and cut your teeth. So they would have wanted to see you from the city supervisor instead of going to an associate office that might be just on the periphery of the city where you could be a part of that community and still live in the city roster like for a town like Penfield or Victor or you know the small periphery towns, Brockport, Spenceport, towns like that around Rochester. They'd rather see you go drive a half hour, 45 minutes to a small one where you're going to go there, you're going to work, you're going to button up the doors and you're going to leave and not be back to that town again until that Monday morning again. I just didn't understand that because in applications for postmaster jobs, one of the things they mention is being part of the community, being part of understanding what's going on in that community. That's always been a big function of the post office. And I'm finding now, especially with the reorganization over the last 10 years when we went from... Uh, uh, we now are, are supposed to be breaking even every year, which means we have to cut ties with certain 
retail locations where we lose money every year. Like a lot of rural locations, we lose money every year that they're that they're open. So there's a delicate balance. Um, so Bob's got my train of hot thought going because he's asking about mailing of CBD and cannabis in the mail. It happens, but don't. It's technically illegal, and CBD is very tender whether it should go through the mail or not right now. We, we had to touch on some. Oh, we're gonna no, we're gonna go big into this actually. Like okay. what can be shipped and not because that that's part of my next. So um, just real quick about uh, hiring in the post office. So management structure of the post office in general. It's very difficult when you don't hire the best qualified person for every management job. And then that continually happens through a very large organization of a hundred thousands of employees. That's to me, the root of the problem of why there's mismanagement or poor treatment of employees through the chain. You don't have people that are trained on how to, how to be leaders. You have people that are former carriers that all of a sudden are in a leadership position for whatever reason they are. It may not be a motivation because they want to be a leader. It may be because they want money or maybe because they don't want to walk the streets every day. Um, it may be because they're an alcoholic and they feel like being a supervisor is easier being an alcoholic than it is this carrier. I mean, there's so many different reasons people are supervisors. The training is not good. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm just is saying the, the structure under- is not set up to make the, so at the best actual leaders within the company are in leadership positions. If that makes sense. Yes. So let's get to things that you wouldn't know about the post office. Box me up, baby, please. Although it was always been strictly against postal regulations, there have been instances where parents have mailed their children in the early years of the parcel post. In fact, in 1913, an eight month old baby was shipped to his grandmother who lived a few miles away. Weighing just under the 11-pound parcel limit, Baby Beagle's parents paid 15 cents for postage. True story. And back in the day, they actually had put kids. I've seen a picture of a kid in a mailbag on the side of a train back in the day. Wow. I don't know if that was a stage picture or an actual legit thing, but that this instance is not the only time that kids have been known to be mailed through. You can get back to the whole list in a minute, but what I found disturbing when I was working at Emory is that I found baby chickens, chicks, in a box being shipped. Oh, that's a great point. Live, I, live I, animals shipped every day. Yeah. I find that disturbing. They still do that? Really? You have to feed and move chicks around the country somehow. I mean, so yeah, and, and baby ducks. Certain times of year, you'll get like farms in this area. We'll get, you know, chicks and ducks and sand. so you get these big boxes where there's large boxes of like 50 to 100 chicks in a box and you can hear it's not always good stuff going on in that box folks let me just tell you that because they don't chickens expect- are nasty little animals and if there's one chick in a box and i'm not i'm going to try and paint this picture as delicate as possible i have had to put my hand in a box of chicks to put something out of its misery so it didn't oh, get eaten alive. That's harsh. Several times when I was um, at the Rover station at the Pride Mail Center in Rochester. I'm really surprised that animal rights activists haven't got a hold of this. And said, well, it's either that or they're moving in cold trucks. I mean, either way, they're being moved in big boxes with all of them stuffed. I mean, that's not a... It's factory farming. It's, it's You have to think about... Um, on a big picture, and I'm not, I, I'm against factory farming. I, I believe you should have your meat, healthy meat, good healthy meat, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go off on the tangent right now. <laughs> My whole point is that 
we have a big population that needs to be fed. Yeah. If we eat less meat, though, we re, I think as a nation, we'd be better off. We don't need all that beef every day. I agree. To I, I agree to a point, but also um, we're seeing the dangers of the salads and the spinach and the, and the tainted stuff. You know, the the E. coli and that stuff. All right, so, that's that's another podcast. No, no, just real quick. I, the food supply is a tender thing, so we have to remember that. Yeah, ideally, we should all be eating heavy greens with light meat to supplement. Ideally, with our bodies, that's the way I feel. But think about what needs to happen to grow all that for the population we have. Here's an idea. Let's all have a garden. Yeah, oh, that should happen already. Let, let's go back to canning our own food like mom and grandma used to do. You know, and the mandate of hemp on everybody's property, like sure. we talked oh, about previous yeah. episodes. Like, yeah, that would all get back to it, it, it. Yes, we should all have some land around us and growing and, and com- contributing to the community with the you community. Don't, you needs. don't even need land, you can have it in pots and. and, and uh, yeah, even a, a, a quarter acre property, you could make enough vegetables to support at least some meals for yourself and maybe a, a, a community meal at some point. Right. Like, right? Like, that's what it's all about. And then if everybody does that, next thing you got a community meal, a community meal every week. Uh, and then you're all having your, your stuff that you're all growing. So there's going to be healthy soil because you're going to be moving nutrients through soil constantly. What a concept. If composting. All, all worked together in that. Oh, wow. What a world. Back to the village raises the kids concept, yeah. right? All right. All right, what, what else can we Bringing not? a new meaning to airmail. Railroads were the primary mode of mail transportation from the 1870s to the 1950s. At small USPS post offices, mail clerks aboard the train would throw one pouch of mail and seconds later catch another pouch filled with the town's outgoing mail, all without the train stopping. Pretty cool stuff, right? This is back old day. Envelopes. Before July of 1845, people almost never used envelopes. The main issue was cost because sending two pieces of paper instead of one cost twice as much since, it's, since an envelope counted as an extra sheet of paper. Damn cheapskates. So you, you would send a letter with postage on it without an envelope. It could get ruined any different way. It could get ripped. Could anything just because they don't want to protect it. Anybody could read it. Anybody could read it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You can't do sexy things in there. No sexy. <laughs> yeah. Sex talk through the mail. What would this sex talk? Oh, let's see. 1845. Let's let's imagine this real quick. What would be the sex talk in 1845 between two people? Oh, oh baby, can you remove? Your corset is so fluffy. sexy. I love how it's fluffy. <laughs> I love how I can't see your hips under the seven coats of wool you're wearing. Yeah. Can we get down to the third layer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And think about how they sweat under the, all those clothes. Oh, God. Mm. You go, girl. Women have served as postmasters <laughs> since the very beginning of our country's history. Mary Catherine Goddard was the first woman postmaster in the United Colonies, postmaster of Baltimore, Maryland. When Benjamin Franklin was named American Postmaster General in July of 1775. And just so you know, the first woman postmaster of Rochester was Terry Ann Burke. She recently took another position, so she's not the postmaster any longer, but she was the first woman postmaster of Rochester. So Rochester has had a woman. I believe she was in there 2016 to 2018, beginning of 2018. But, yeah, we did have a woman here in Rochester. So praise to Terry Burke for breaking that. Uh, and to be very honest, I would say in the Postal Service in general, diversity is uh, recommended, encouraged, 
as far as race and gender. I definitely see where different pockets of the country, there might be a certain maybe uh, uh, groups, racial groups that tend to gravitate, like there's certain pockets where there's a lot of black supervisors, managers, a lot where there's white, but I don't, I think in general in the company, um, hiring decisions are not tainted by race or gender. I've never seen that through my 18 year postal career. So I'm proud to say that. So I don't know if people would under would know that or not. A couple other cool facts about the post office, because I am so proud that I work for the post office and I left that career. Um, I didn't leave knowing I was going to miss it or regretting it. Uh, I did very well. I had a TSP. So when you work for the post office, this is kind of how it works. You get a third of your high three-year average when you qualify retirement as your pension. You also get medical benefits. And you have a TSP, which is like a 401k program that you can contrib contribute to. And then you have Social Security. Now, the old-style system... People didn't pay into Social Security, so it's a more robust retirement where it's like 80% of your high three years, and that's what you get paid the rest of your life. So there's a three-phase retirement. So walking away when I did not qualify for retirement means I gave up the medical benefits side of it. I also only lost maybe about, I think it was about $50 a month as far as what I'm going to get. So I'm not really sacrificing anything that way. And I left a thousand hours of sick leave on the table, which I'm not happy about. So, room another postal fact that most people don't know: the Greenville, South Carolina Post Office began using motorcycles, Harley Davidsons, of course, to deliver mail around 1906. Unfortunately, this changed in 1915 when the Postmaster General declared that motorcycles could could only be used for rural delivery if they had fixed weatherproof containers for the mail. And the picture I'm looking at, they're all wrapped in canvas with straps like on their handlebars, all the mail, which is like the coolest thing ever. And one of the crazy things, this has changed recently, but one of the things when I first got into rural delivery down at the Canandaigua, New York Post Office, where I worked for a couple of years, was how rural delivery drivers were allowed to drive their vehicles. So obviously most vehicles that we drive are left-hand drive, but mailboxes are on the right-hand side of the road. So what do real rural carriers do? Well, in some cases, they were given right-hand drive vehicles from the post office. Very rare. We had 15 routes, I believe it was, at the Canada Post Office. Only two at that time had right-hand postal vehicles for them. The other 13 routes had one carrier. I believe two carriers had right-hand drive vehicles, which are very difficult to order. They're special ordered. Sometimes you have to get them from Europe. You have to special order them from makers here in the US, so they cost more. So rural drivers have to pay more for right-hand drive vehicles. Or they did things like this. They drive Chevy Montana minivans with couch cushions in between the two front seats, sitting on the couch cushions, reaching his left leg over, to manipulate the gas pedal and brake pedal while delivering mail with his other hand out the passenger side window. And this, four years, has been allowed by the Post Service as being safe. And luckily, the Post Office didn't discipline people when they got accidents, and this turned out to be the setup in the accident plan, in the, excuse me, the accident report, which is ridiculous. 
I'm not even going to get onto that subject. But yeah, so rural vehicles and rural delivery was not always the safest in my mind. And what, to me, one of the biggest hypocritical things in the post office, how they could allow employees to drive out a passenger window with their foot manipulating the brake and the gas pedal with their left foot on the driver's side. It just blows my mind. Mail by sled. We're talking about mail delivery systems. And in Alaska, the mail used to be delivered by dog sled. However, in 1963, the last dog sled route from Gamble to Savonia was converted to an airplane route. Dog sleds in Alaska are now used mostly for sport and, of course, for the famous Iditarod race. And just so you know, Bob, national park guru that you are, we still have donkey trains of mail that go down to the Grand Canyon. What? Yes, still happens. Dog or donkey? Donkey, donkey. Uh -oh, uh -oh. <sighs> Did you ever see that when you went to Grand Canyon? Did you see the mail train? No, no, but I saw the donkey rides. I always wanted to go on one. <sighs> You're perfect for donkeys. Thank you. Are you calling me a jackass? Yes, oh, I was kind oh, of actually okay, saying right, that. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you didn't miss that point oh, this time. I don't miss much. In addition to all of the post, well, I don't know. We've tested your memory the last couple episodes, and you okay. apparently you're missing a lot. Memory like, during uh, versus observation is a completely different topic. Why is that? <laughs> Why is because memory can span a lifetime. Observation can span a moment. So, did you know taking in cannabis will shrink your hippocampus? And increase your memory. No. So, Bob, you need to get back to the THC. I, I think I do because I have a history in my family where um, we have issues as we get older where uh, we start to forget things quickly. I don't know if it's Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever it is. It's never really been diagnosed towards my family because my father's side is what's inflicted and he wasn't really in part of my life so i don't know the full history of my family but i do know that it haunts me and scares me the concept that i might someday just lose everything luckily there's tc and cbd to help you offset that all right i'll, I'll go to a store and 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 buy some so one of the things people say is post office has junk mail, like junk mail, junk mail, junk mail. I call that recycling mail. Recycling, <laughs> make sure you recycle all that mail, number one. And number two, that is revenue mail for the post office. So generally speaking, for everybody out there, that stuff that people call junk mail, if the post office didn't have that, I used to nickname it, they call it now marketing mail, is the official term for it. Well, they call it that. Which so the post office calls is marketing mail. Yep, which is that's what it is. It's it's basically sending out marketing messages in one way, shape, or form. Uh, and they've made it a lot of different ways that people can do that now, where they can save a little bit of money and then new technologies that they can add to increase their marketing message by sending that out. I'll touch base on a couple of those now. All right. Well, without getting too far, can you sign up not to get that stuff? You have to contact the actual creator of the mail piece to have them stop, take you off the mailing list. So the, the post are, office can't. Are pretty slim. No, the post, the post office is, is is prohibited from stopping that at their level because think about it, these are customers that are paying right. to have it delivered. So we have to deliver it. We can't, we don't have a choice. Like when people say, I don't want this, I don't, we actually have to. It's part of our right. If we're not, it's like, it's like, uh, 
someone going to Burger King and ordering a hamburger and you sitting behind there and say, you don't need the hamburger. You're 100 pounds overweight. I'm not giving you the hamburger, but thank oh, you for the buck 50. I, I would never say that. Yes, no, we wouldn't say that, but I'm saying that would be an equal comparison. So just talking about paper in general, because people want to talk about junk mail recycling and we're talking about hemp and marijuana. Uh, cannabis is obviously part of this podcast. So hemp paper is stronger than wood-based paper and can withstand more folding in general. Hemp has strongest natural fiber of any source. So that's my little cannabis in our postal episode. Did we, uh, did we fully touch on whether or not we can... Mail it and the rules and regulations. All right. So cannabis is illegal to ship unless I believe the caveat is if it's coming from a medical dispensary under a prescription, I believe that you won't get your balls busted for, for uh, a postal inspector. It's not going to pull that package and say, ah, da, da, da. Um, technically by the letter, no THC should move through. I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of shit that I stuff. Excuse me. I've been so good about that swearing lately. No, we have been good about that. Yeah, I want to be clean because I'm realizing now by who I'm talking to in society that we have a big, diverse group of people listening. So I definitely want to stay away from the F-bombs and swearing if we can. You don't really need them anyways. No, they're just comfortable words to say. They're substitute words. They are substitute words, but the problem is they were ingraining us when we were teenagers as words that we were going against our parents by saying, and then they became trigger words for the rest of our life, right? Yeah, but the English language has such a, an immense amount of words in its vocabulary that if we should use them, we should look into different words we can find and just explore them. And Katrina said that on her episode, right? She was finding other words for swear words for her um, podcast, or yeah, for her radio show because she can't swear on Armed Forces Radio. Right. It can happen. Right. Like even, even dancers and everybody, we can do it. By the thesaurus. All right. We just went off on another tangent. I know. Isn't we're, it great? Yeah. We're, 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 <laughs> what did you just ask me? Let's get back on the post. <laughs> All right. So junk mail. So I used to tell people um, junk mail is not junk mail. It's revenue mail. It's marketing mail. And if the post office and everybody needs to listen to this, the parcel business alone cannot drive post office operations. Okay, folks. So you need to support marketing mail. You need to support direct mail. These statistics are out there that people like to have physical mail pieces. There are a couple technologies you can use that, to use a physical mail piece to trigger a digital impact. I'll go into a couple of those technologies here in a second. But without flat mail, letter mail is dying, folks. There's nothing we can do about that. The only thing that's going to ever be going through letter mail for the for the rest of our history is as long as legal documents have to be sent through the mail and be certified and signed for, that will help support us. So if the minute legislation goes in a place where you can do everything digitally, our letter mail will go away tomorrow, like that quickly, uh, other than personal letters going between people, which is dying off. So flat mail and parcels are really the driver for the revenue for the post office. So you need to support companies who use direct mail. Remember, they're using direct mail to get the message to you personally. They want to send you their message. So two different mediums that companies can use for direct mail. Bob, have you ever heard of augmented reality? Huh? Oh, what's augmented reality, Bob? Is that when you're smoking something and your reality is no, no that's longer... magic mushrooms and when it recalculates your neurons uh, uh, so then... your reality is augmented yes yeah, so what it is uh, you know the pokemon go f- craze that we had right where people would have their phones they'd be sitting in a parking I, lot i never for... understood that oh cool so i'll explain it a little bit then this is great so augmented reality is a really cool technology it's uh, developed in the early 2000s late 90s by a magazine that recognized that the 
physical publishing of magazine newspapers were going to eventually go away. So they were trying to figure out another way to get their magazine to people digitally. Okay. So what they did was they would still mag- mail their magazines to people. And I forget which one it is. It was one of the big dogs. I apologize. I don't off the top of my head. But the gist of it is they would you mail a magazine off. In the magazine, it would state, hey, download this app onto your phone. Show it on the main cover of the magazine. And you could sit there and read the magazine on your phone through that app. Excuse me. So augmented reality. Pokemon Go is the same philosophy. So what it is, is you go out into public and you actually put your phone up so you can see everything around you with your camera, but Pokemon creatures come in. So you're on an app where Pokemon will add the creatures and you can go find them, tag them, whatever. I don't understand how the game works or whatever you got to do. So basically augmented reality for a male piece. Think about this. Uh, Penn State University, one of my coworkers sold augmented reality to them. So this is what Penn State University is doing now. Every Penn State University logo for their 11 colleges. So Penn State has 11 different campuses. Their logos now will have a little message on it that says, download the Penn State augmented reality app. So Penn State created an augmented reality app that can download to your phone. So you scan that logo on that mail piece. It'll take you to a message that pertains to that mail piece in that campus specifically. So it could be a campus visual tour. It could be a quick message from the president of that campus. It could be a quick marketing message for that month. And basically for three bucks a month, so for me, I created a one for my, my kids and I Christmas card a couple of years ago. So basically what you do is you go to an augmented reality website like Blipar, Layar. I basically have two panels. I put a picture in one panel and say, this is my picture that's triggered for the video. And then on that mail piece, I just put download the Layar application from you know wherever you want to, whether it's Android or iTunes. You download that app, you get that app on, you put the app on and you scan my Christmas card with my kids. It'll go to a 30 second video I showed of all the things my kids did and I for that year in a 30 second video by just scanning. So you basically hold the phone over the Christmas card. Then from the Christmas card, the Christmas card like peels away and it goes to a 30 second video. You keep the phone there on the Christmas card and the 30 second video shows three bucks a month to maintain that on a website. That's it but you're only sending it out to your kids. No, the point is, imagine now a college that has just a six by nine card that they're sending out, but someone can scan the app now and scan the logo on it and get a full video of whatever you want to show just by a six by nine. And you can do QR codes to get you to go to the landing page of that college just by sending that six by nine mail piece out. Okay. So you're adding the digital piece, you're adding elements of marketing, you're adding touches with really no added cost. It's basically free added touches to marketing because everything about marketing is how many touches, how many times you have that person touching the mail piece or doing something actively from your mail piece or your TV commercial or your radio commercial or your social media ad or whatever it is. It's all about touches and how many times that person will be brought back to your site or your service or your goods. That's augmented reality. Okay. Then we have informed delivery. So let's say you're at your desk and you want to find out, did my box come yet from Amazon? Is it at my house right now? Do I have to worry about someone stealing it? What's going on? So we have this app called Inform Delivery. It's just growing, just started this year. But basically when you sign up at USPS.com, you put the Inform Delivery app on your phone, you assign it to your P- 
P.O. box, mailbox, your house, whatever it is. You can't do it for businesses because there's too many names involved, but you can do it for personal addresses. And basically, you can see all the mail pieces that are coming to your house, either that as long as they're being scanned in our machines, you will have a picture of that mail piece. If it's a letter, you'll have a picture of it. And if it's a company that's sending flats out and they have a program, their picture of their mail pieces will show up, as well as every tracking number of any package coming to your house. You don't have to type in the tracking numbers. Our system will know that package is in the system automatically. Send that information in your form delivery. So all of a sudden you'll just see, let's say you ordered some, something from Amazon yesterday. You don't need to get the email from Amazon to know that it's coming in our system. You pull up the informed delivery app, all of a sudden you'll see package coming towards you, your house, and you can see it tracking through the informed delivery app on your phone without getting any email from the company that sends it to you. Because our system is intuitively knows and is putting the information down. So think about this as a marketer. You sign up for informed delivery, and right now this is free. You have a mail piece. You give the mail piece picture to the post office. You tell them the range of barcodes that you're sending. So that basically the houses are attached to the barcode. You send that list of barcodes in. You say, this is the dates it's going to run. And then once our machines scan those barcodes, it informs all the people on the mailing list of those companies that this mail piece is hitting their house tomorrow or that day. And then they can do a marketing campaign. So now the customer can pull up and see the mail piece, click on that mail piece and go right to the website of that company without going home to actually have that mail piece in their hand. They could do it from their office. So let's say you get a Bed Bath & Beyond coupon and they're one of the companies that are in this program already. So your Bed Bath & Beyond coupon, the picture of it will show on form delivery. So there at noon, you're sitting at lunch at work, pull up your form delivery app. Do I have my package for, yet for my grandmother yet? Oh, there's other letters and flats today. What's this? Oh, Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh, I need to stop there to get Aunt Betty something. You can go on there, click it, have that ad on your phone without going home to grab the mail piece to get that coupon. Go to Bed Bath Beyond on your home now and use the coupon that you just got mailed to you without going home and having the actual mail piece. So what, what is the real purpose of that mail piece then? I mean, you, if you can get it on an app, why don't they just cut through the middleman? Not that I'm discouraging the fact of this new... So the statistics are 70% of people that get physical mail piece of their house glance at that mail piece for at least 10 seconds. 70% still. That's why the physical mail piece. And that's the stats that people forget. So as a sales rep, I actually would tell people, our busiest mail days for mail delivery are Mondays and Fridays and Saturdays, generally speaking. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are those days I was telling you about that we don't have eight-hour days for carriers because there's light mail. So I always used to teach advertisers, drop your mail on a Friday or a Monday because we got three days to move it or five days to move it, depending on the color code and type of mail it is. Because that way you know it's getting in the mailboxes when you have the least amount of competition in that mailbox. Like I would go that minutia with people, like get in there so it's hitting the mailbox Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nothing else there. People, though, those three days are generally spend a couple extra seconds on the mail versus a Friday when you got the, the bulky red plum advertiser that's in there. And then there's maybe a couple of the mail pieces and it's all bulky and don't no, get in there on a Tuesday when there's maybe one other letter, one other flat. Now your piece is standing straight out and you got, you're one of three pieces in someone's hand. And now you might get that more than 10 seconds on that piece. This is what field sales reps across the country will help businesses with. All right. That's a little fascinating how, how they're trying to I wouldn't say manipulate, but it is kind of an, a form of a manipulation of how they're planning to get this mail in the customer's hands so they'll pay more attention to it. And add touches without adding cost. So when you look at marketing plans, like if you hire a marketing company, 
they're out, they will give you reports based on the amount of touches, who's being driven to what by QR codes and all this stuff. All this stuff now can be built into direct mail. So you're basically tying your social media. So what we used to call this in the post office, and it's in the industry, is omni-channel marketing. So what you're doing is you are taking different marketing areas. So you are using social media. You are using radio and television, maybe satellite radio, but people are going away from radio and television and then direct mail. And you're saying, okay, what works in what industry? Because every industry is a little different on what's going to work. But generally speaking, direct mail will work for all industries. You just have to figure out how to tie it to your social media and everything else. Are they targeting the younger people? Because I'm telling you right now that my mom's not going to be interested in something like this. If there, she's not going to put another app on her phone. So, is, is it going for the younger people? Big time, because millennials okay. are going away from the millennials. Love hard, seeing hard copy, but think, they're think, not producing it themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so they like to see it and have the millennials react to hard copy. Still, all the studies are showing it. They still react. You have a low attention span. I mean, you're, you're seriously, it's six to 10 seconds is what you have for the time you have to get someone's attention for your mail piece. Still going to be like that. But the millennials like to get hard copy. The college kids. So I did this little pseudo study when my son was a senior year. My son was a soccer player, did very well on his SATs and had over a 90 average. So when you have that, you get put on a lot of mailing lists for colleges. So he got like between 60 and 80 letters from colleges. His, so we're in a West Aranaquai school district, very diverse as far as race. It's also a heavy AP district. So a lot of kids will take uh, college level classes through West Aranaquai. And we're talking about Hispanic kids, uh, black community, white. It's a very good mix in there of everything. Um, so I had a bunch of soccer players come over. We kind of we talked. I've talked to them randomly. I talked to parents at games and stuff and kind of said, oh, okay. Tell me what mail pieces you guys like and why. And I would ask them their advice. So I threw all these mail pieces out there and the six by nines and what they like. And basically, this is what I got out of these kids. They want to see a picture of the campus to see if that matches what they want in a campus. Because not every kid wants a rural campus and not every kid wants a city campus. But kids do want a certain kind of campus. On they the envelope. A, not necessarily. Yes, they want to see a picture or have, be able to have access to that quickly. Okay, that's the caveat. Uh, and they also want to know what that, what programs that college has. So the kids were smart. They want to see what the campus looked like because they want to see where they're going to be every day. And they want to make sure that college has their their curriculum that they're going to study. Those are the two things they wanted. So right now, colleges, many of them send out two-page number 10 envelopes. The first page is a general letter. Like you as a parent read it. And the second page is like a business reply. So it's like a maybe a questionnaire of some kind of survey. And at the bottom is you mail this back to the post office. It's free of charge. The college gets charged back for that colleges get a very poor return on investment on those pieces, but that's the majority of what they send out for marketing. And I proved through my little pseudo study with my son and his buddies that none of them like that number 10 with that two page. Basically that gets thrown aside. And if the parents don't read it, the kid is not reading that number 10 envelope that's coming through with two pieces of paper in it or three from colleges right now, which is the majority of marketing of colleges across the country. I'm saying this to all of you, please. Your studies, read your marketing studies, do some more marketing demographic studies, get away from that now, please. And I know I'm taking money out of the postal service's hands saying that I'm taking out first class revenue and business reply revenue, which we need, but it is not working. It does not work. I don't understand why they continue to do mass mailings 
of this variety when it doesn't show they get a good ROI on it. When I sat in a room with just a handful of kids and I saw already that they want, I told them about the augmented reality app and I showed it to them, the kids were amazed. And the minute they knew that that all of those kids that were in that room and, and who I talked to of his friends during that year and told them about augmented reality, they're all about it. All they had to do is be educated to the fact that the technology is out there and then there's different apps. Now I see some of his buddies do projects and stuff. I see, I see other people doing projects out there. So augmented reality, it's about adding the touches. Colleges, get away. Go to the six by nines. Go to the pictures of your campus. Do a virtual tour of your campus video by... Um, drones and inside your buildings and make sure that the kids have access to those videos to see everything that you have to offer because every kid wants something different. That was the thing that amazed me. I took my son to four or five different colleges before he chose University of Buffalo and I wanted to hate the University of Buffalo. It was the biggest school we went to. I felt like he would have been a number, not a true person on that campus but I realized that the business school was a school within the campus and in that building where he would be spending his time, there were a ton of resources for him to be successful. So then I started saying, oh, I got to look at the small picture within the big picture here to see what the value is here. So I don't want to say that every kid should go to a small because I, I would have told you years ago, every kid should go to a small college. I don't believe that anymore. Uh, if you're going to take the route of colleges, which is not necessarily where you have to, I was a postal employee. I have college degrees right now in the post office is a great time to get jobs. There are jobs available. You don't need degrees. You will work hard. You will work six days, seven days a week to start. You will sort mail. You will work your butt off. You will work in the cold and the rain, but it is a great career. I will recommend it to anybody to go that route. Um, if you're not going to go the college route, but if you're going to go the college route, I would say a big college, small college. If you are a college administrator, please target these kids in a more sane way. All right, I'm off my soapbox about marketing. Thank you. <laughs> Shipping is a lot more fun than marketing to me, helping with companies, because that was helping save pennies. But this is where I wanted to talk about a little bit here about the post office and where they're losing their focus and where this company really could struggle in my mind. From a, a neutral perspective, I was a sales rep, so I was in between sales and operations for the last three years. I saw the needs of customers as well as the needs of the operation of the post office. And the post office, unfortunately, being driven by supply data, right now, in general, operations managers and uh, operations managers and post managers here in Rochester, I believe, are pretty happy because their hours are showing very well right now, Bob. They're probably to last year, I'll bet you they're all showing some some time on the street. And you know why? Nothing. How about a guess? A slight guess. Come on, give me a guess. I got nothing. <sighs> I know, I'm, I'm looking something up here. So Amazon is making its presence in Rochester, New York. It's, is it? It's just built a, a warehouse um, that's going to do distribution out of, and they are also putting out carry routes. So in the last six months, they had uh, requested franchise owners to come out and basically be in, um, how is it, how is it? set up. It's basically set up so franchise owners will own FedEx franchises out here with delivery personnel, but the delivery personnel are officially full-time Amazon employees. So they have a bunch of Amazon routes. So they the mail that used to funnel through the post office and be delivered by the post office is now Amazon is delivering here locally. So I saw a carrier yesterday at lunch real quick and uh, I said, "How you doing? You know, how's how's the routes?" And he's like, "To be honest, so he's in a 
14624 is the zip code, Gates, Chilai area of Rochester, uh, heavy Italian area, great people, hard workers. Generally speaking, we got a lot of packages. I averaged when I was the acting manager there for the three winners, um, Christmas time. I saw my average go up about 70%, the package business as far as volume. And in, during the Christmas times, I would see some of my routes have over 250 scans per route. And on a daily basis, it would probably be 30 to 40 normally, if that tells you how much the increase was. And the carrier said specifically, it's a lot easier now that we don't have as much Amazon. Now, local, this is the problem with the post office. Local management is loving that because it's making their job easier. But nationally, that is not a good thing for the company. And in, the, in a company like this, everybody should be thinking the same way. And at the same time, my biggest issue when I left the sales job was not being able to get packages picked up from customers at the end of the day. So here's the package business in a nutshell. If anybody's out there and they're business owners, I'm going to kind of give you the nutshell of how to use the three carriers, UPS, FedEx, and the post office, the most efficient way. And this is what the post office is missing out on. The post office understands this, but they're still not putting resources in place to gather these packages efficiently from customers. So basically, if you are shipping out, there's three factors when you do shipping. Do you know what those are, Bob? Weight, size. Destination. Oh. <laughs> so he's absolutely right. It's the weight of the box, it's the dimensions of the box, and it's the destination it's going to. So the further it's going away, it's gonna cost the most, right? The smaller the package, the less it's gonna cost. Weight can be, if you have something that's small and dense in weight, you can avoid cost by putting it in certain kind of packaging. Okay, is that a, that's a good general gauge for you? Yeah. Generally speaking, zero to four pounds, zero to three pounds, the post office for the services it provides is the best route to send that mail, U.S. Postal Service. You can use UPS SurePost or FedEx SmartPost, but both, both of those services are basically considered standard services where FedEx and UPS will do the freight side of the shipping and then they will drop it at the back door of the actual post office where it will be delivered. And then the post office will do the final delivery. So they will open up the package of came in, sort it to the carrier, and then the carrier does the final delivery. But if that package has a wrong address on it or the people refuse it or anything else, that package has to FedEx or UPS or whoever the sender was of that package that used that service has to pay the full fare of that going back. And it can't be forwarded. So if someone is at a new address, that piece of mail, their new address cannot be forwarded through the forwarding process put forward because it's a cheap service. Okay. So you could save a few pennies using SurePost or SmartPost through FedEx or UPS, like I said, but if it's really not good customer service to send it that way, if that makes sense. So the post office, under three, four pounds, still will do all forwarding for free. Any address correction that needs to be done, we do it for free. None of that. We get free tracking on everything still, no cost for all that. So it's more cost effective and customer service to use post office up to four pounds. After four pounds, if you can't use the post office's flat rate boxes or regional rate boxes, then FedEx comes into the picture. They are best from that four pounds to about 11 pounds. Um, that 11 pounds fluctuates to maybe 13, 12, 13 pounds. But generally speaking, UPS, uh, FedEx. And then anything over 13, generally speaking, 13, 14, UPS is 
best for freight that big. FedEx is getting better with the freight wise, but that's your general gauge if you are out there running a small, medium sized business. So think about this. If you are a business that does wholesale and retail orders, your retail orders are small. So you're only doing maybe you're generating 10 to 20 or 30 retail orders a day. FedEx does the majority of your, your freight and does your midweight stuff that you send out because you have a variety of weighted packages and places you're sending it. You don't have a condensed, you don't have a single type product where it's the same weight every day. Let's say you have a, a vast array of products. The post office now says your regular carrier comes at two o'clock or one thirty because we try and get business mail delivered early. So now we're telling businesses that we try to get their mail to them early. Now we tell them, yeah, we're not coming back to pick up your mail. So whatever mail you have ready at 1030 or 11 or 12 or one, when that carrier comes, that's what you get for the, we're not coming back to pick up packages at the end of the day. So now this company has two choices. Do all of the retail orders right away as soon as they get in the morning to have them ready for when the carrier gets there to send them out to save the couple bucks per package. Then they will go through FedEx or UPS ground. Or they say, forget the post office. We It's more important we get our wholesalers off out and do retail later because the wholesale important, those are our biggest customers or, or their structure isn't set up to get the retail orders downloaded in their system accurately and back out. That company now is just not going to use the post office because it's too much of a headache for that 20 packages to get that one of their employees to drop that at a post office at the end of the night every night to save a couple bucks when it's just easier when that FedEx guy is going to come at the end of the day and grab everything. So the post office is going to lose this trickle revenue because of their stubbornness, not being diligent, picking up these small 10, 15, 20, 30 package customers on a daily basis. Yeah, you weren't painting a very good picture for the post office. This is my constant battle at the end to the point where I actually emailed some different people about this within our structure, including the marketing person in Buffalo, including the higher ups here, my boss. And when I left that company, I was full. Uh, listen, I'm a peon. I know those emails went to people that can't make a difference in this whole thing. But you were. what I'm raising is valid points. I'm going to give a perfect example right now. Calabrasellas. Calabrasellas, Calabrasellas, Calabrasellas. I'm saying this because they're a great local deli. They do a good job with sandwiches. They also do a lot of shipping. They combine with some awesome companies, Abbott's, which you know, right, Bob? They're awesome custard here locally mm -hmm. and loved across the country. Zweigel's Hot Dogs, they're partners with. And they also do some dog treats and they do several things on their website shipping, okay? They do not use the post office anymore because... They can't get the packages ready early because a lot of their retail orders come in a little later in the day. So they can't get them ready for the... So they're going all FedEx now. They were one of my most consistent customers for the three years I was there. Uh, and it's all because of the pickup when I left. Basically, the advocate for them left. the post, When I left, they stopped using the post office. Can and I do a, a little side step? Please. Yeah, uh, please. All right. It says here, the FedEx and UPS can open any package they want. This process encourages internal fraud and increases the chances of getting busted. No matter the cannabis, no matter if the cannabis is legal in your uh, home state or not, can the UP can the post office can they open any package they want the same as FedEx and UPS? No, only the postal inspectors have that right. They don't need to have a warrant to open a package, but I'm going to tell you. I have opened up a package that was leaking in the past to try to make sure my operation can keep moving forward. 
but I've never done it to rifle through something to get someone in trouble, if that makes sense. Yes. But I'm going to tell you a lot of stupid things. So I'm so glad you brought us back to this. So we're going to get back to the cannabis here, which is a great way to close out with this is, first of all, there's two organizations that watch the security of the post office real quick, Postal Inspection Service and the Office of the Inspector General. The roles of the inspection service has changed over the last seven, eight years. It used to be the Postal Inspection Service monitored everything. They were responsible for everything with the post office, internal and external, mail theft, fraud, you name it, employee, bad stuff, everything. But then there was a review done by the office of the inspector general, and they found in some situations the relationship between the inspectors and operations was maybe a little too cozy in some areas. You know how that gets, right? It's just yeah, like yeah, a sheriff yeah. in a town yeah. that's buddies with someone, right? Right. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that did not happen very often with the inspection service because the inspection service is like critically secure. Like I've been around, I've been at the facility where they train postal inspectors. I didn't, I, I wouldn't have hamper cannabis on that site for myself. Like if I wanted to medicate, like when I was training, I want to medicate at night or something on training, like I wouldn't even have it on that site. That's how serious it was, if that makes sense. Like, um, these yeah. guys are serious. So I'm not painting a picture that the inspection service, some willy new organization. Guys, the inspection service to me is the most robust, thorough police organization in this country. And pretty much, just so you know this, most drug operations, the inspection service are involved in it in some capacity. I would say about 99% of drug busts. Post service somehow, some way was involved or asked information to help with the case. So there's no joke, the inspection service. So the office of the inspector general said, okay, in some places we may have this Wild West sheriff thing going on. So now what happens is the inspection service is responsible for all fraud. Anything that happens pretty much at the mailbox, fraud, theft of postal property, employees, that kind of thing. Where the ins Now the office of the inspector general will monitor any employee waste or mismanagement or that kind of thing. Okay, so that's the picture. So now we're going to get talk about cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked in the past about how the industry in Colorado and California and Oregon and those states that were first uh, on board, there's a lot of product there that can't be moved because of all the new regulations and everything. So they cannot send it through the mail. Technically, nothing can come through the mail, but there's a lot of crap coming through the mail. Why? There's not enough people buying what's being produced in those states. And because of all the state laws, now you're getting a lot of like someone's friend getting someone's friend sending someone's friend stuff, whether it's cartridges or flour. But the flour, I've never had a package of like a bunch of cartridges open up because there's no smell, right? So that stuff's, you know, edibles, that stuff goes through the mail a lot, I guarantee it. But that's not the stuff that we will open up and see unless the package open up by accident. But there's still a risk. But... There's a risk, but not as big. The real risk is in the moving of actual buds and flour, right? And you're going to hear how idiotic people are. People are, because right now you can get flour out of California, Colorado for ridiculously low prices. Like I'm talking ounces for like 50 bucks, like wow. QPs for like, yes, because that's how much there is out there. And basically think about this, Bob, you have a storeroom of a bunch of bud, at some point, moisture's an issue, like bacteria's an issue. Like you can only store huge amounts of flour for so long. So people want to get rid of it, and that's why the prices are so low out there, okay? I've seen stuff. 
So there's this one house that I knew for a couple months that, because I told, as I've said before, I delivered a lot of express pieces. So people know to send weed through the express process. It's a next day, noon, three o'clock. Very little chance of any dogs sniffing it. The only dogs that go through facilities are FedEx. They don't go through postal facilities. So if you have a well-packaged flower going through express mail, that is pretty much, I don't want to spell the procedure out for people so people can do it every day and ruin the post office. But there is a way that you can send flour without ever being busted. Okay, there is. Coffee? So <laughs> here's the story. And I'm so glad you said that. So the house that I know was getting flour for a couple months in a row, you know, finally one day it became egregious. So the box had broken open. It was a bag of uh, ground coffee, really cheap, cheap, shitty ground coffee. And there was a big, like it had been a QP of bud in the middle. And it was in like, not even a freezer bag. It was like a freezer bag size, but it wasn't Ziploc. It was like the fold over clothes. Oh God. Okay. All yes. Right. All right. So there's, so the box reeks, right? Then there's a big hole in the side of it. So the, because it was flour and just ground, ground coffee, the box kind of collapsed because they put it in a big express box that it didn't need to be in that big box. So there was extra space. So it kind of collapsed and created like a half moon cut on the side of the box. So I could see the bag of the coffee inside and I could see the weed, the, the weed bag inside of it pressed on the edge. So that I'm out of the post office. I could never tell the story. So I walk up to the door. So I now in my car, my car now reeks of weed. Okay. Like reeks. Like if someone pulled me over, I'd have to, I'd have to show the, like, and then they'd probably be wondering why I'm delivering to the customer, and not giving it to the inspection service. I probably would have got in trouble for not giving the inspection service. Okay. So I know full well, this is a young couple in their thirties with a couple of young kids. Um, I don't know where they get this from, how they get it. I just know I've seen packages coming through for a couple months now. So I knock on the door and the kid answers and I go, Hey, I need to see your mom. Okay. So the mom comes to the door and I said, okay, I'm not an inspector. I'm smiling. See my smile. She goes, yeah. I said, I've known you've had stuff coming through because whoever's sending it through to you does not do it very well. But today you just got extremely lucky. You have a human being at your door. Here you go. I'm leaving. Just please make sure it, you don't have this come anymore. Not another package came through that house after that day. That girl did not know. She slammed that door not knowing what the hell I was going to do when I left the house. I guarantee it. But that is not the first. How about this? I had an express package labeled to Mickey Mouse from Santa Claus with the wrong address on a street. So my carrier brings it back. I look at it. He goes, what do you think? I go, I know what I think. So he brought it back at the end of the day. So that package, I can't move that at the end of the night anywhere. So it's sitting there to get sent out next day with all the missense. Um, so we have a, a dead letter area. You have to send stuff. So obviously I can't return that to anybody. I can't forward it to anybody because it's Mickey Mouse. I don't think Mickey Mouse really sent the package. And I don't think that Santa Claus lived on Lettington Avenue. Uh, and if so... The address was wrong, so Mickey didn't know his exact address. And inside that box was three ounces. To a bad address, 
but this because the smell came through the next morning, you know, it started to stink. So I called my buddy Ray Marvez, who was a postal inspector. Him and I, uh, he's a retired postal inspector, and that's that's why I'm going to say his name safely right now. Uh, and him and I were very good friends, and he, I'm hoping to have him on our podcast in the future. Talk about a high energy dude with great stories, uh, involved in a lot of drug busts. But uh, yeah, Ray Marvez uh, and him laughed about, and I laughed about that one for a while. So yes. Whoa. So cannabis is regularly shipped through all three services. Of the three, I would say post office is the safest way to, and there are ways to do it safely, but m- a lot of people don't do it safely because they're just trying to get rid of it and they don't care what's through the process. But did you know now that you can actually get on a plane with up to an ounce of marijuana in California? If it stays in California, if the plane doesn't, no, if it goes incorrect. to California to California, or they don't care where you're going. Seriously, they're just not going to bust your balls for putting it on in California. Well, I'm still not going to take that chance. But thank uh, you. I'm I'm well aware that I'm not either. But to me, that is just um, it's just like California saying "screw you" federal government, isn't it? Kind of like the thumb in the face, right? Like ha 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 ha. Somebody's got to be the bad child. Yeah, that's true. Why not be California? Right. But it's funny that it's one of the states that's like in the most financial crisis in this country. California has a financial crisis? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, they're one of the poorest states. Oh, but all I hear is innovation, innovation, leading the way, moving into d- different directions. Yeah, most, think about all the people there and the tax money they get off all those people that live out there. And yeah, it's still... Hmm. But you gotta remember, there's big cities like Los Angeles, and have a lot of people there with needs, uh, probably more so than the handful of actors and actresses, you know, up around Malibu and all that, where their homes just got burned up. All right. So, what becomes of the product that sits in the post office when it's not claimed? So we send it to a dead mail center, Atlanta, I believe is where it's at. So that is where you would go to anything that goes. It's unclaimed. But to be honest, I'm going to say everybody right now, always check out for a lost and found locally. There is generally, here in Rochester, there's one at Jefferson Road where everything kind of gets gathered at. There are a ton of licenses, medical benefit cards, um, thumb drives. Stop sending thumb drives through letters and flats, guys. Thumb drives are machines, just so everybody knows. Take one, the envelopes actually will make a 180 turn on itself. So basically, if there's something inside of an envelope, so you think, I'm just going to send a spare key to somebody because they're going to come visit my house, that thing's going to spit out the back end of that envelope because it goes through rollers and and pulley systems that bend that mail piece so it physically comes back to where like the point of it and the end of it are almost touching each other when it comes around a roller, if that makes sense. So thumb drives, we have, so let me describe some of the stuff that comes through us a lot. Um, Medical cards licenses but a lot of that is people who like will find the stuff and put them in our blue mailboxes we get a lot of stuff that people find and they put them in blue collection boxes oh yeah yeah like wallets and yeah totally stuff like that. yeah if you ever lose your wallet someplace or your license asking the lost and found the post office is not the worst thing to do or stupidest thing to do i gotta say it would be very tedious for our clerks to look through because like there's a two-foot flat tray of hundreds of licenses like Oh. Yeah, like hundreds. All right. Medical benefit cards. Um, we have, like I said, small electronics common. We have a ton of thumb drives. Um, let me think about the lost and found. This is actually a, a good way to go because most people don't understand this. Every facility 
processing facility has a rover station. So any damaged mail goes to that rover station. So generally speaking, if something has to be backtracked, it's usually one spot in every facility where you're going to backtrack to. It's not like it'll be in 10 different spots where there's damaged mail. So there is kind of a system in place within the Postal Service that if you get the right customer service rep who has the right phone number. So generally speaking, the business service networks, they're designed for medium to large size businesses to help them. But those are the actual employees within the post office. So if you ever get a hold of a business service network rep, that is the person that will have the most contact numbers to get to who you need to. And I want to waylay something because people get frustrated. Me as a postman, I was an acting manager at the Westgate Post Office for three years. I don't have access to any international phone numbers at all for any inquiries or anything international. I couldn't, you wouldn't even want me to call other countries to track down packages internationally because it would be so inefficient. I mean, you wouldn't want your local postmaster to be calling India to track down a package. We have a number set up. It's on the express mail label. It's a 1-800 number. If you have any international inquiry issues or calls or questions before you mail something, talk to those representatives because they are the only ones with the contact numbers for the international. Because what happens is if you send things international through the post office, it's the other country's post office that does the final delivery. FedEx and UPS use their own employees. We use the other country's employees. So think about this. Do you really want to send a package to Nigeria? No, I have no no need to. How about in Brazil when they had the Olympics and people were getting between the airport and the f- hotels where people are staying in the tunnel, they're getting robbed. Like, would you really want to trust a Brazilian mailman to deliver a package from the U.S. to your customer? I'm not saying don't branch out internationally with your products. I'm saying if you're going to do it, the post service, the price, initial price, and our customs are better than everybody. So we have our own customs. All of our stuff goes to our own customs. So our customs is faster than FedEx and UPS. But to trust the other country's post office to deliver, England, Canada, yeah. Russia, heck no. Are you kidding me? The mom probably runs the post office in Russia. Speculation. Very much speculation, and I don't do a lot of that, but what I'm saying is be logical about where you're going to invest to make money. Some markets may not be worth it to even try. How about this? Facebook, I've got a lot of people now that are friending me randomly uh, because of the podcast and the message is getting out there. We're up to 30 states now, everybody, and exciting times. I, I, I almost forgot to mention this. We are now in the United Kingdom. What? What? Yes, we have reached the United Kingdom. Very proud to say that, actually. I wish I knew who it was that is listening out there, but I'm very excited. So um, anyway, so just internationally, really study the markets, really uh, research. Uh, But generally speaking, you wouldn't want your local postmaster to make calls to to Indiana. Like, you could probably find the phone number for the Indiana post office as fast as I can as a postmaster or a manager at Westgate post office. And that's a true story. So business service network reps are the ones, if you get them on the phone, they're the one that can answer any of your questions about shipping, lost packages, damage stuff. Any other postal things that you can we, been can we about? survive without the post office? No. And this is why. If there's ever a catastrophe in this country or let's say a a nuclear issue in a certain region of the country, 
they can have the medications in our post offices within 12 hours to give to people if they need it. Such as, you know, in Japan, they had that and they won't, then maybe they need to administer a lot of drugs to a lot of people quickly. Bam. Uh, let's say people in yeah, everything digitally goes down all of a sudden. So let's say a bunch of satellites go down and digitally the Northeast, you can't do anything digitally for two weeks. So those poor people on low income who now digitally are getting their funds downloaded onto a medical card that they're using, you as a government, are you going to want those people for two weeks to be without money? Or are you going to want to make sure maybe there's a system, paper checks that you can get out to them to avoid like some really crazy stuff going on? This is why the post service, the, the network itself needs to be maintained and established. And that's why I would love to sit on my soapbox to say, please, politicians, five-day delivery as fast as you can. Let's get this streamlined and efficient. Deliver packages seven days a week, all day long, priority for, and, and express. Improve the express network so it's a legitimate network where we can make money. We can help an industry such as the diamond industry, which right now, the diamond industry in the United States, really quick, there is a need in the diamond industry and jewelry industry in the United States for a strong U.S. Post Office Express network. Insurance companies right now, the only one of the three services that they will insure shipments for more than one day is the post office. They will not insure FedEx and UPS. And there's a local company here in town, I will not mention their name. They were clients of mine that I tried to get over to the post office. And the reason why they didn't come to the post office is we weren't having our employees um, getting the express pieces to the spots when they were supposed to. So in Philadelphia and New York, we had a couple of people that said they attempted a piece to a location that didn't actually bring it there till five o'clock, but they attempted it that it was at noon, so they didn't get in trouble. Even though they couldn't have physically got it there, they were fraudulating instead of just getting the piece there like they should. Our customer would have been fine if it was late. They just wanted it there when they said it was going to be there. So we lost it basically uh, off of some ignorance in our big cities. But the problem in the diamond industry that I learned is the insurance companies won't insure FedEx and UPS because there's too much shadiness of those two companies' employees. UPS is union, so it's a little bit better, but FedEx is a non-union shop. So the head of security for the diamond company here is a former cop, former ran drug enforcement teams, you know, legitimate. Like he runs a five-person team, basically SWAT unit to protect this place, okay? Legit. He goes, flies down to Atlanta for a package that got bought, that lost, you know, multi-thousand dollar package that got lost. Investigates, realizes it was the employee who stole it from FedEx. FedEx would not help prosecute and, and basically was told that they're never going to. So what happens is anytime a, a high-end valued diamond gets lost from this company through FedEx. FedEx for the first 24 hours will do everything they can act like they're trying to help them. And then after 72 hours, basically there'll be no contact from FedEx with that company at all. And they will not help them do any kind of investigation on their employees for any theft of package. So that's why insurance companies will not protect. So this is why the post office in general, politicians, please, five-day delivery. Can we stop listening to these unions saying we need these utility carriers? Let's get down to a streamlined operation. Let's pick up packages from everybody who's got anything at the end of the day. So these carriers, instead of giving me a half hour another route, have them do some customer service, get back, get customers who are doing mom and pop operations at their house, have these carriers go and pick up these five, 10, 15 packages. If they pick up 10 to 30 to 40 a day, that's going to cover that half hour that it took at the end of the day that they could have done another route. And you're going to add a little customer service on the street. Yeah. Well, you have some carriers that abuse that and go sit someplace and talk to someone for 10, 15 minutes. 
Maybe, so that's where management comes in. Or maybe not. Maybe you, you put these roots as evaluated roots now, like rule roots. So do you know the difference of a city route and a rule route as far as how it's set up, Bob? Not a clue. Rule routes are set up evaluated. So the carrier comes in, sorts the mail, goes out to deliver, and can leave when they're done. City carriers have to work an eight-hour day every day. And if they're root, so rule carriers on heavy days could work 10, 11 hours, but on a light day could be out of there by noon or one o'clock on the same route. So imagine city delivery is pretty much the same way. You can have a 10-hour day on a route with mail, or you can have a six-hour day with mail because that's based on your skips and everything else. Now, rural routes, you can cut it more because it's all curbside delivery on rural routes. There's no walking. City delivery is walking. So let's say you are walking a bundle that has 60 houses. You're still generally walking in front of all 60 of those houses unless both corner houses don't have mail and then you can cut a corner or something. So it's hard. So you can see why if you skip houses, how it's hard to figure out how much, how long a carrier is going to take because it depends on which 60 houses you skip. Let's say you do, and this is a tool they like to use. The post office drives me nuts. Yeah, they made 50% of deliveries, so they skipped the 50% of the houses. Yeah, but they had mail for every corner house. So yeah, they skipped four houses, but they still had it. It wasn't like they skipped the four houses on the corner and cut a whole five-minute section off. So yeah, if you don't have to go up to every mailbox, up every set of stairs, and that's why it's an inexact science to know how much time to give a carrier per day to get their eight-hour day. So what I, uh, my proposal right now, Brian Lane, post 18-year postal career as we close this podcast up is five-day delivery, seven-day package delivery by a temporary, uh, by the PTF staff, the casual staff, uh, whatever we call them now, PSCs, uh, for Saturdays and Sundays. And they also fill in on the routes that are needed for the weekend. You have evaluated, evaluated routes, so the evaluated routes, actually walking routes would be worth a little bit more because it takes more on your body. And then as you get older, instead of like making more money through your career and you have an easier mounted route, you actually might make less on a mounted route because it's less taxing on your body. There's less to do. You're just putting your hand out a window versus someone who's walking upstairs. And then you make some kind of culture and you agree with the unions how to evaluate these routes. And then that way carriers, they're going to go out and pick up packages at the end of the day now, but they're going to do it timely. And now you're not going to have to worry about someone going and talking to someone for 10, 15 minutes because it's not his time basically because he's on an evaluated route now. So now you say maybe some natural customer service gets built in because yeah, rural routes, a lot of the rural carriers want to blast off, get done early every day and be out as soon as they can. But others actually have a very good repertoire with their customers and know every person on their route. And those rural route carriers, I found were the best resources for me when I was in those kind of offices that had them. So I believe that the post office and the city carrier, if we could come up with that system, on top of the fact that we really focus our efforts on the marketing mail and the shipping and getting in this revenue, I believe the post office would be successful long-term, but we have to go to five-day delivery quickly, quickly, like we are behind already. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm good for it. I'm, I'm, I agree. I 100%. I could care less if I get mail on Saturday. It'd be, you know, you sit there and you wait at the door. When's my mail going to show up? You won't have to care anymore. Because especially if you go away on a weekend, you don't have to worry if your mail is out there. That's right. And how about informed delivery? So imagine this. No mail on Saturdays now, but our machines keep running through the weekend because we'll run our processing centers to keep the mail moving so it'll get to its spot by Monday, right? Right. So now it gets hit with this informed delivery, right? So you see you're going to have a mail piece on Monday. So now you're sitting at home on Sunday. Maybe you would have got that piece on Saturday. Now all of a sudden the picture comes in your phone on Sunday that you're going to get it on Monday. You still could shop 
on Monday, without Saturday delivery, you still kind of got that piece on your digital phone. You'll see it on Monday, but if you want to shop on Sunday, you can go to Bed Bath & Beyond Sunday. <laughs> Adding that technology to yeah. helps curb that not getting that Saturday delivery. And if you still want to get something Amazon Prime in two days, we're going to deliver it. If Amazon's using us in that in that area, we'll deliver it. And then if someone goes express a priority, which is two or three days. So if your mother in Florida says, oh, I got to get this flat rate box up to you, honey, and you need it before Monday. Well, right now, technically she wouldn't get it before Monday, but with my system, the customer would get, we would deliver priority on Saturday and Sunday. So that two to three box now from grandma to her granddaughter who needs it Monday for school can get it at her house on Sunday and not pay the exorbitant fees from UPS or FedEx to have it delivered on the weekend. Right. Seems logical. Get it written up and send it out. Well, I've already written that exact thing in an email to superiors before, yes. And been laughed at going, really, Brian? Wow. They laughed at a good idea. Well, it's because nobody at our level can control anything. So it's like, great ideas, but... Yeah. Yeah, uh, but, you know, there's certain processes in place. And so it, real quick, the inspection service is run by the Postal Rate Commission, a group of individuals that are chosen by politicians that judge what the post office can and can't do. Those are the individuals that need to be educated on all this stuff because they're the ones who say yay or nay to what we're talking about right now. So it actually is a very small group of individuals. So I'm hoping that I can get this podcast episode to them so they listen to it at the next meeting they're all together and then they listen to this apply all this next you know post office is filled and i'm going to get like a, a, a all the that 58 dollar check i had to send for the al i owed they're going to send that back and they're going to send me 500 sick leave hours valued back in a check if i could get that back for this great idea that would be worth it for me bob all right how is that how do i have a thousand hours of sick leave and i get no value financial value out of it right i mean what was the motivation for me to accumulate that many dollars other than to protect myself from doing something stupid when I do my crazy athletic stuff? Because that's why I have it, right? If I broke my leg skiing, that 1,000 hours was all I had to protect myself. You, you created your own insurance. Correct. But my point is, why couldn't I benefit when I left and getting some of that back? Because that's that not seems how it works. To be, that seems to be a skewed system. No, there's no... Other than having my bank account that I just, it's like building up a bank account that you just left on the table and said, I'm so glad I built that bank account, but I got no value out of that. I didn't even get 1% interest out of that because it just sat there. It's just like, I don't know. That's that's a tough one for me that I really feel like federal employees who protect their leave the right way should be rewarded when they leave with that sick leave in some way, shape or form. That is how I'm going to end my episode today. Okay. Happy, I, are you enough? Uh, happy trails. Yeah, let's let's get on. Let's happy trails. You're a jerk. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our postal episode. 18 year career. I had to get it off my chest, and now we can move on back to the fun stuff again. Oh, happy trails to you. Do, 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 until we meet again. <sighs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs>